My name is Heath. I'm the lead pastor here at Reach, and uh, we're excited that you're here this morning. Uh, we're in week two of our Easter series called For You, and the big idea uh, here is that God has done lots of things, but specifically through uh, the coming of Jesus to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus that he did for us. But remember that even though it, he did it for us, it's not about us. Uh, it's his story. So this morning, uh, last week we talked about uh, the big idea that, you know, for it to be for us, he has to show up. So, you know, Jesus, there is no resurrection. Uh, there is uh, no teaching. There is no New Testament without Jesus showing up. And that's what we talked about last week uh, through the lens of uh, Luke 4 and specifically his reading of Isaiah 61 verses 1 through 2 and, and basically telling the world uh, through the church that he was in that he was the Messiah. Uh, today we're going to talk about this other idea that, you know, not only did he show up for us, uh, but he pursues you, uh, which may be for some in here a hard concept to really feel or understand depending on the season you're in. And so here, here's my one thing that I want us to kind of grapple with. God has compassion on those that are his, and hear this, present and future. And so this is not going to be one of those theological Sundays where I'm going to unearth whether you're chosen the elect or whether God foreknew. Either way, it doesn't really matter. It is his work in us. So that's not what I'm here to do. What I am here to do is talk about the reality that God is very interested in pursuing his children. And that's happened since the beginning of time. God has been pursuing those that are his. You can trace this all the way back to creation. Remember the story of Adam and Eve? Adam and Eve were created in perfection. There was no sin. There was nothing. I mean, it was probably 80 degrees all the time. I mean, it had to be. They were naked. I mean, you don't get cold weather with naked people. Let me just tell you, there's not many, you know, Antarctica nudist colonies. It's just doesn't work that way. Uh, but Adam and Eve, you know, they were there really enjoying the, the creation that God has given them. Everything was perfect. And God had one rule. You can do anything you want in the garden. You can eat anything you want in the garden other than this one tree. And this has been the story of all of us our whole life. It's like the one thing that we know that we shouldn't have, we are just like, you know, Flies to the vomit. We just cannot control ourselves. And, of course, Adam and Eve fell. They went to the tree, and we won't say which one took it first, and, you know, and the husband that just sat there and watched and then took it himself, but uh, they fell because they did the one thing that God told them not to do, and immediately in their fall, in their sin, there was a separation. There was fear. Immediately they realized, oh my gosh, I'm naked. They had to find something to cover themselves. And then from this God that they had had one-on-one relationship, face-to-face, walked in the garden with, they hid. Which is idiotic. I mean, of course, they were, even though they were fully grown human beings, male and female, they weren't, they'd only lived a certain length of time. They're you know, their capacity to understand things, you know, were probably limited. Uh, but they hid from the one that created them. Like, I don't know if you ever played hide and seek with your children. 
pretty precious, especially the younger they are. They're like, best hiding space in the world. Because you can't see me. And they, they hid. But yet, I think the one thing that I love about this story is they hid. God knew that they had sinned. God knew that they had sinned. And what did he do? Did he come into the garden like, I can't believe you did this and throwing stuff. Maybe that was your history of growing up. I don't know. It wasn't necessarily mine. Don't you know, place any judgment on me. And... He pursued. He came into the garden and he immediately began to work reconciliation. He immediately made a sacrifice for them. He immediately gave them coverings and gave them a new life. He didn't destroy them, but he set them in a new world that now contains death. And from the beginning of time, God has been pursuing those that are his. And so today we're going to look at this in a uh, Luke 15, where I'm going to read a almost, I think, the, almost the entire chapter, 1 through verse 32. And we're going to look at three different parables, the parable of the lost sheep, parable of lost coin, and parable of the prodigal son. Some of those you have probably heard, and we're going to look at those through the lens of what does it mean for us. And so my challenge for you this morning as we look at this is let the text, not your history, not your feelings. Let the text tell you who God is and what he does. And the tension that we want to work on this morning is that sometimes it doesn't feel like he is pursuing. Let's pray. Dearly Father, it is your word which is the one truth that we can clearly see and clearly understand who you are. And so as Jesus speaks, as Jesus tells these parables, I pray that today that we would hear his words, not as words out of an old textbook that have principles, but Lord, that they would be the words of life. That we would see and experience and know without a doubt that Jesus pursues those that are his. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we're going to pick this up in Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 32. It's going to be on the screen behind you. If you've got your scripture with you, it's always great to have an open so you can make notes or make marks to look at later. Uh, I'll be reading out of the ESV if it's a little different from what you're reading. But let's start with verse 1. It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, talking about Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So the tax collectors were the worst of the worst because if you aren't aware of this, during this period of time, the Roman government is ruling Jerusalem. They are ruling the people. They have power over them. And so when someone rules another country, they usually make them pay tax. Well, the tax collectors typically were men and women from the area, fellow Jews that are now working for the enemy, now collecting a reminder over and over again, which is a tax that you are here in their place. And you have to pay. They were hated among the Pharisees and the Sadducees and most Jewish people. And the scribes were like them. These were like the Jewish 
leaders of the day. And they're grumbling because of Jesus taking time to eat with them. And notice that they're not necessarily grumbling that Jesus would be teaching them or trying to help them. But in this culture, it's, it's, it's a very intimate thing to have lunch or have a meal with someone. It is, it's, it's a very welcoming thing that communicates so much more. If he was on the street corner kind of yelling at the sinners and the tax collectors, the Pharisees and Sadducees would probably not have any concern. They'd be like, preach it, Jesus. But having them around him, eating with him, speaks completely different. And so now we go into the first of the three parables. So this is what happened. So he he is... The Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious leaders of the day, are mocking and ridiculing Jesus because he's spending time with sinners. And so he tells them these three stories to really communicate the heart of God. And so in verse 3 it says, He told them these, this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls his together, his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Can you imagine this story? See, I. Not many of you are like, yes, later on I'm going to go take, I mean, some of us have sheep, I know, or goats or things like that. But most of us, we don't understand the reality of working in open country and having a hundred sheep that you're taking care of and counting one day and realizing that you've missed one, leaving the 99, which we just sang about just a second ago, leaving the 99 to pursue the one. Here's the thing that you have to understand, that the one matters. There is value in that one. Some of us will be like, man, I still got 99. I'm doing good. Jesus is not interested in not having all of his sheep, all of his children, and is willing to go the distance to pursue the lost. And then he says in verse 7, it says, just so. So he's, he's telling them a parable and then he's, he's bringing it back out of this story form and he's bringing it back to them. It says, just so, I tell you, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Realize who he's telling the story to. See, there's... Two groups of people that are listening. There are the people that have come to Jesus, the sinners and the tax collectors. And and they're there because they know that they need something. Then there's the self-righteous ones that have done all of the right things. And they're there mocking what Jesus is doing. And so then he tells them, kind of mockingly, Hey, Jesus, God, the Father, is more excited about the one sinner who repents. The one sinner who turns from his old way into that relationship with Jesus. He's more excited about that one than the 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Let me, let me just tell you this. I believe, and a lot of commentaries believe this too, that they're, he's, not, he's more mockingly saying that they're righteous and they don't need repentance. 
So I don't believe that Jesus is looking at these 99, that he's looking at these Pharisees and Sadducees and going, they don't need repentance because they're perfect, that there's no need for it. He's looking at them saying they, they think they don't need it. So he's going to say this thing to them. And so he goes right into the next parable. Oh, let me read this. In, in Isaiah um, 53, 6, and there's references, and we've even had a, I even did a sermon here on shepherd. I mean, there, there's a big background for why they would even use this story. But Isaiah 53, 6 says, we, sorry, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus. This is prophetically talking about what Jesus is going to do through the cross. And then it goes into the next parable. So the first one, all the guys are going to understand. All the people that have been out and they understand what a shepherd does and how important that would be. And so he's tying it back in. And then he goes into the parable of the lost coin. Verse 8. It says, or what woman, having ten silver coins, and, and they, most commentaries would say that each coin was valued about a day's wage, so a full day of work, that was about the value of that silver coin. If she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house to seek diligently until she finds it. And so the, the picture here is probably someone that is pretty poor. They're probably living in a house that has no windows. You know, we're thinking about our house that has one door. They have to light a lamp inside so that they can see around in the room. And they're sweeping because most likely the floor is dirt because that's the house that they're living in. And she's going to sweep this whole floor looking for this one lost coin. In verse 9 it says, And when she found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me. For I have found the coin that I have lost. And then it goes back out of the parable to the people. In verse 10 it says, Just so I tell you, there is joy before angels of God over one sinner who repents. See this theme, this idea that God is going to be going out of his way to pursue and to bring in and to find that which is lost. Luke 19.10 says, For the Son of Man came not to seek... Sorry. <laughs> For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. He is in the business of pursuing. Okay. So now I'm going to go into the longest of the three parables. And many of us in this room have heard these par- this parable specifically about the prodigal son. A lot of people not even in or around church have are familiar with this story of the prodigal son. You just say the word and people basically understand what happened in the story. And what I want to do here is give picture to what's going on. So I'm going to read through um, a pretty large section of Scripture and I'm going to give you ideas about things that are going on inside of it. And when we get to the end, um, I've got some points that I want to give you. So, Verse 11, and he said to them, so he's going into his third parable. There was a man who had two sons, and the younger one of them said to the father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided up his property between them. And, and this literally, we, we don't think like this, but this literally in this culture would be like a son going to the father and say, I wish you were dead. 
And why don't you do what you were going to do when you die, which is to give me my piece of the property. It wasn't like a, a bank account. They literally had land that's probably been passed down from generation to generation. And they divided up part of the land, which was a huge insult to, to the father, sold it and gave the son his portion. And then the son leaves. In verse 13, it says, Now many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there, there he squandered his property in reckless living. Verse 14. And when he had spent everything and a severe famine arose in the country, he began to be in need. And so went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. In the Jewish culture, the pig was the, was the dirtiest, most unclean animal that there could be. They would have nothing to do with the pigs. And here is a, a son of this culture reduced to caring for and feeding pigs. Verse 15. In, sorry, verse 16. And when he had longed to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything... But he came to himself and said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. Finally, he had gotten to this place where he's like, Okay, okay. I'm, I'm done with this life. I, I'm done with where... I, I mean, I'm sure he had wild ideas of what he thought, you know that he's going to do with that money and how awesome it would be. And he'd finally come to the place that realized that it's gone. I'm starving to death. And the hired hands of my father do better than me. And so in verse 18, he says, I will rise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be your son. But while, <clears throat> um, sorry, 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 sorry. For I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. So in his head, he's thinking about this speech. You ever done? Those older than like 20, 25, you ever had one of those speeches that you're going to like go to your parents and you rehearse it? That's what he's doing. He's rehearsing the speech. Getting his hair right. He's going to go to dad and he's going to confess his sins. And he's going to say, I don't, it's not even, I'm not worthy to be your son. So he's not going back to the father saying, hey, forgive me. Let me take my place as a son again. He's saying, going back to his father and say, just hire me as one of the hired servants to get paid to do work. And I'll live as a servant in your household, not a son. This is what he's saying. This is the practice speech that he has um, put in his head. In verse, um, in verse 20, it says, And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. I mean, I, I don't know about you. I don't know if you've ever been in that position where you just feel like, I'm not sure what this relationship is going to do. I'm not sure how this interaction is going to go. And, you know, imagine the son, he's rehearsed this speech. He's he's humbly coming back home, probably in rags, has nothing left of what he left with. There's, there's no great story of these accomplishments that he's had. He literally is starving and is returning home, and his father is actively waiting. This is the picture that God is presenting of himself, the father that is waiting for the son to return. 
And in his waiting, he sees the son and, and he leaves. The father saw him, felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. I'm sure, like you and me, we were thinking, like, what, what, what does this mean? Like, if the father runs out, you're like, is, he's running. Is he going to hit me? You know, like, is that, is, that a, is that a joyous run? Is that, like, an aggressive run? Does he have a hidden weapon? Is he going to strike me down out here in the field? And he does it. He, he, he embraces him and gives him a kiss. The father was waiting for him. He ran and embraced him. In verse 21, and the son said to him, here's the, re- the rehearsed speech. Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. This is, a, this is repentance. This is what he's doing. He's like, I'm acknowledging what I did was wrong, and I no longer am worthy to be called your son. And the father ignores him. He, he gives the speech, and the father ignores him. Verse 23, 22, But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put on a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, And bring a fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son, was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is now found. And they began to celebrate. This is the image of the father that is waiting for his children to realize that what they thought they could have outside of him could never satisfy them. Waiting, longing to receive them back and not receive them as a lesser servant, but to receive them back as a son. And he gets a robe. He clothes him. I mean, there's so many, so much imagery on the righteousness that Christ gives us as his, as his children. As he imparts to us this righteousness. This is the image, the robe. He's covering his shame. He's putting a robe on him. He's putting a ring on his finger, which is a sign of like power. Like you ever heard, you know, like I give you the, my signet ring. I don't know if you remember the story and um, about said the prince of Egypt, but in Moses uh, where he gives him the ring. And this was the, the power of Pharaoh. If you had the ring on, this was the signet ring that showed power. This is a ring identifying him as part of the family. And he, he gives him shoes for his feet, probably because he had none on. And then the weirdest thing happens. So the father starts this party. He calls for the fattened calf. He invites people to this celebration for the returning of his son. And then the older brother. And there's a whole other story here. And I'm going to touch on it. But let me just tell you, um, Timothy Keller wrote this book called Prodigal God. If you're looking for something to read, phenomenal book. Really, it talks about the story of two lost sons. So here's, here's one son that was lost because of his sin. He was separated from God the Father because he, he sinned against him. And the other son was lost from the Father because of his own personal righteousness. And this, this was, let me read it and then we'll talk about it a little bit. Verse 25, it says, Now the older son was in the field and he came And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And when he called one of his servants and asked what these things meant, and he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed a fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. 
But he was angry and refused to go in. And there's a whole much imagery right here. Literally, the celebration is like the kingdom. It's like heaven. And the older brother wouldn't enter into the father's joy, but stayed outside, which is a huge sign of disrespect to the father, because it was his father's party, not his son's. The father was celebrating the the lost and returned son. And the older brother wouldn't enter into the joy of his father, but waited outside. His father came out and entreated him, which was also another huge thing uh, of disrespect for him to have to leave the party, go to his older son who's brooding outside. And he comes to him and entreats him. He says, but, in verse 29, it says, but he answered his father, look, These many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Look at his own righteousness. I have done everything that you've asked. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. Verse 30, it says, But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed a fattened calf for him, and he said to him, Son... You are always with me. And all that I have is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this. Your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Look, let me tell you, there's a lot of people out there that are lost because of their sin. They're choosing sin that is separating them from the father. But I believe there's just as many people that are separated from the Father because of their own righteousness. They're missing the joy that the Father has called. Because they're angry. Because God hasn't done something that they think that He should. Instead of going, the Father is God. Who does everything, everything he does is just and right. And so instead of looking at it going, this is just and right, they're angry like the son because this, 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 this son of yours, which is what he says, this son of yours. Does that remind you of the garden? Because Adam's like, this woman you gave me. Eve's like, this snake. We're always Blaming someone else. And he's angry because of this son, this action that you have done. And and this righteous one is missing out on the joy. This is what's going on here. You have two sons that are lost. And all of this is this pursuit. Because the father, even though it's highly disrespectful for the elder son to not be in the party, to not be entering into the joy with the father, the father leaves the party, comes out to the older son, and tries to call him into his joy. And the older brother won't go into his joy. He won't celebrate with the father because he's angry. That the father hasn't given him a goat to celebrate with. And the father's response to him is, everything I have is yours. I never kept you from celebrating with your friends. You did. This is the story. This is the picture. And I, I, I know. Remember that 
tension that we talked about earlier. Sometimes it doesn't feel like he is pursuing. Sometimes when your world is crashing in around you, when things are happening that are out of your control, you feel like, God, where is God? Look at, look at these stories from the other side. Think for a minute about the sheep, the coin, and the sun. And I know that... I know the coin doesn't have feelings. And another coin wasn't thinking like, when is the lady going to find me? I mean, maybe in a Disney movie, but like not in real life. The sheep, can you imagine the sheep? I'm sure the sheep wasn't like, ah, I hate these people that are always taking care of me and keeping me from wolves. Sheep are dumb. Anybody have a sheep? I mean, they can be trained. I had somebody send me a video about sheep that can be trained, so they're not completely dumb, but they're pretty dumb animals. And so I'm sure the sheep just one day was like, oh, green grass. And like the green grass led him away from the others because he's like eating and thinking about eating and and just going. He's not paying attention. And he turns around and he's lost. And I'm sure the sheep isn't like, of course, sheep don't think like this either. Okay, let's just Disney movie it for a second. But imagine for a minute because this the sheep is us. The sheep like the coin, like the prodigal son, or like the son that stayed home and did everything right, is us. And can you imagine in the intermediate, when you're alone, all by yourself, in the dark, wondering, why did he forget about me? Why have he left? Why does the, the shepherd who loves me leave me out here? And in all the time, the shepherd is pursuing searching for, trying to discover. The sheep has no idea until he is reunited. Until that moment that he sees the shepherd again, he has no idea that anybody is thinking about him. And I just want to, and this is something, as I was planning this, I just feel like some of us feel like that sheep, that we're, we're literally sitting there thinking, God does not care. He's not interested in me. He's not pursuing me because if he was pursuing me, he would do whatever. Whatever that thing is. He would remove this illness. He wouldn't have allowed this thing to happen. And again, we forget that God is working all things to his end. All things to our good for for those who love him and are called according to to his purpose. And let me just tell you, and this is the hope that I think this season brings for us. Is that until God shows you. And the beauty of being in a relationship with God the Father and God the Son. Especially over a long period of time, every one of us have had seasons where you feel like it's just. If God was good, he would do. And let me just tell you, until you see his final goodness, in this this case, the sheep, until the shepherd reappears, you don't believe it. And I just want to tell you this morning, maybe for someone specific in this room, that just wait. I believe for all of God's children, the ones that are His, He will go to every length to restore you back to Himself. Think about this picture. 
And the shepherd went out of his way. He left his 99. And who, who knows how long it took him to get there, how tired he was when he got there. But when he found the sheep, in his joy, he picked the sheep up. He laid it around his neck. And he carried it back to his home. And when he got home, he celebrated. He invited people into his joy. That's the beauty of what the church is, is we get to gather together and celebrate what God is doing. So just because you can't feel it doesn't mean he's not actively pursuing you. I'm going to invite our worship team to come back up. And so what about... Not only you, maybe you're sitting here in this room and you think, man, I I know God loves me. I know God pursued me. I know he rescued me. I've I've felt that tenderness of him. But maybe you're looking outside of you and it says, what about those you've been praying for? And my challenge to you would be keep praying, because just like you, just like you didn't realize what God was doing until he did it, until he showed you his hand of what he was doing, believe that God is doing in the background what is necessary for those that you're praying for. Acts 18.10, I'm not sure if this is going to be on um, the board. One of, one of This is a verse that God just kind of brought to me when I was praying about planting this church and one of the most discouraging things that I, I, not most, but a pretty discouraging thing that happened to me early on. So we felt like God said, plan a church in, in the Wilmington area. Ended up being Leland, but this is the Wilmington area. And I called a friend of mine that was down here in this area, lived here for a few years, and I was excited. This this point, there was not much that could like handle this joy that I had about, whoo, this is before I realized what I was getting into. I was still naive in that bell curve of reality. And I called this guy, and, you know, I'm like, hey, we're going to plant a church in Leland. And he was like, just what Wilmington needs, another church. I mean, this is what I thought, a pretty strong believer. And I'm like, okay, buddy, let me take that out of my heart. And, and I read this verse not far after this conversation. And this, I truly believe, this comes out of Acts 18, verse 10. It says, For I am with you, and no one will attack you or harm you. This is him talking about the mission that God had sent them on. And for this, for I have many in this city who are my people. The reason why I planted Reach Community Church almost seven years ago is because I believe, just like that, that God said that to me. There are many in this city who are my people. Waiting to be witness to the pursuit that God is actively doing in their life. The, the beauty of most people, when you hear their story, when you hear their, the finality of their story, their coming to Jesus story, the, the surrendering to Jesus story, it usually is filled with all these other things that are leading up to that, that I didn't understand that this this and this were leading to this moment, but you see it afterwards. And, and I believe that God is doing things actively in people's life in this city that he's going to bring them into his kingdom. He is pursuing. So whether this means for you right now to wait, believe that God is going to do in you what is necessary. His word actually says that he, what he begins in us, he will bring to completion. And that road is messy. 
I mean, the prodigal son story. And here, here's the beauty of that. You don't have to like go crazy to still have a prodigal God story. I think some of us don't realize how close we are to God, yet so far away from surrendering. Notice that every single one of these stories had this in common. The sinner repented. And I know this is a word that we in the South are like, repent. Repenting is, is choosing to, to change your direction. If you're, if you're going this way, to repent is to turn and go the opposite way. It is choosing this life I was living wasn't going to satisfy me. And I'm, I'm repenting from it. I'm turning from this life and I'm entering into the joy. And so what I want to do as we close, as we go into a song, and I say this all the time, and I want you to realize, we don't do another song at the end of our service to keep you here longer. We do another song at the end of the service because I believe the most opportune time for you to respond to what God is doing is right now. Is right now. Whether you feel like, I don't feel like he's pursuing me, I feel like he's literally putting obstacles in my way, trying to destroy me, trying to make my life miserable. And maybe it's not God doing that, but it's you making the same poor choices over and over again. The story of the prodigal son, I mean, what did he do? He took the one thing that he thought would bring him joy, which was his inheritance, and he went into this foreign land to to get joy from it. And what happened? His choice left him with nothing. And the picture that we have here today is that God is a God who is long-suffering. The one beauty of the Old Testament is over and over and over again is, is, is the people of God would turn to their wicked ways that would worship other gods the moment they would cry out and repent God would return and redeem. That is God the Father. This is the biblical story. So regardless of where you're at, regardless of how far you've run, I just my prayer this morning is that God would open your eyes to see His pursuit, His tender, loving care for us. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I don't know where everyone in this room is. I don't know how loved they feel by you, how pursued they feel by you. But Lord, I pray that just maybe for a moment that you would remove the veil. And that you would allow them through the scripture to understand that you are a God who will go to any length. To discover, to capture the heart. Of those that are yours. Present and future. And so this morning if we've been long running in the wrong direction. Lord I pray that you would allow us to see the truth that comes from you. The love and tender mercy that welcomes sinners. That welcomes tax collectors. Not for them to stay the same. Not for them to stay the same. But for them to be changed. For them to become whole again, for them to be reunited with the God who created them, designed them, has purpose for them. 
And so, Lord, as we worship you, I pray that you would restore in us a joy that comes with your pursuit. Let us feel like the sheep, the intimacy of you carrying us out of our lost ways and being reunited with you. So do in us this morning what we are unable to do in ourselves. Bring back joy, bring peace, bring life to us. And so Lord, we, right now we just acknowledge that without your son, without Jesus showing up, without him living the life that we should have lived, that we needed to live, that we were required to live, and dying that same death that we We're required to, because of our sin, dying that death for us, that we have the possibility of entering into new life, being raised to new life. And so, Lord, I pray that you would, this morning, reunite us with that life that we so desire. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.